Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about the American Banana Republic, Trump indicted and Nimim maker convicted, the communist banking digital control, it is almost here, and law schools killing the rule of law. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk to today's first five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Obviously, the whole nation is watching today as President Trump, uh, the cameras there you know, everywhere he moves, leaving uh, Mar-a-Lago, flying up to New York. He's going to stay at the Trump Hotel tonight in New York and um, be arraigned tomorrow in these charges that have been brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. I don't really think it's entertaining to watch him fly in and land and wave from the steps of the um, of the, his um, plane, Trump Air. But I did want to take in the first five just a moment to comment again what a serious time this is in America and why people of, you know, I'll dive into the details and some legal issues as we go through the show today, but just stepping back as an American citizen, how serious this is. If you take just a moment to wander through the recent history of two-term President Bill Clinton, as well as his wife who served as, uh, she was kind of co-president with him, or so they said when they when Bill Clinton ran, uh, served as Secretary of State, ran for president, is frequently spoken about as someone who still might be the most viable candidate. Just take a, you know, tiptoe through the tulips with me on the kinds of things they have done and no criminal indictments have ever, ever ensued. And quickly on President Trump, you know, this indictment is allegedly surrounding uh, federal, federal um, campaign law disclosure um, requirements, which basically you have to disclose uh, what you pay, what you pay out to um, and how you make, for what you make payments uh, on your campaign and has to do with a alleged payment of hush money to a former porn star who has now testified she never had uh, an intimate relationship. She never had sex with Clinton. He's, excuse me, with, with uh, President Trump. She said it, he said it. I mean, the case has, has fallen apart before they're even at arraignment, but this DA is plowing forward. Just compare for a moment uh, the Bill and Hillary Clinton crime team. So Hillary Clinton, and many of these things, the statute of limitations has long elapsed, but you know, in recent years, as she was running for president, 2015 and 2016, we have the uh, hidden server uh, located, found to be located later inside her personal home, uh, where top secret information zipping in and out in a, a server, unprotected by all the protection that the federal government provides for the FBI, CIA, and everybody else in the federal agencies. Just think about this. This is the noise behind the scenes about whether or not the documents President Trump had at Mar-a-Lago protections of the federal government. So is her entire server. Nothing happens. Nothing at all happens. And if you go a little back, uh, farther, uh, further back in her future, cattle futures, the White House travel office, the White House FBI files, I mean, the litany of, and the destruction of evidence, not even a close question, destruction of evidence on her computers. Uh, so when they're turned over, sorry, we don't really have any of the information you're looking for, uh, Mr. DOJ. And leaving, of course, behind that, the long litany of grave concerns people have about uh, people who have turned up dead as after they've been associated with the uh, Clinton crime family. Then you have Bill Clinton. And again, this thing with Trump is all about this alleged, in fact, it's not even an affair anymore since she says, no, they never had an affair, never had, uh, never had sex. So she, Stormy Daniels says that, President Trump says that. Contrast that with Bill Clinton, who is a walking 
abuser of woman of women over decades, over decades, starting back when he was in college and when he went over to Cambridge. Um, this was yeah, this was in Cambridge in 1969. Credibly accused of sexual assault. Um, you have women who've come forward over literally decades of his life, not alleging an affair outside of his marriage because. He doesn't seem to care about that, neither does Hillary care about that. But what they're alleging is actual sexual impropriety, assault or rape against women in America, and no prosecutor in this country ever, ever lifts a finger to go after him. So you have, um, I mean, I could, I have a long list here, I won't go, I used to do this when Hillary was running, just to remind you, Bill Clinton's history, but you have Juanita Broderick, that 1978, very credible allegation of rape, very clear, detailed description of what occurred, um, and, you know, she's still out there talking, she's still saying, you know, it's still, you know, is something that affects her and how she uh, lives in her life. Um, she talks about, uh, there was Carolyn Moffat, um, um, who talked about she met Governor Clinton at a political fundraiser, invited to his hotel room. He was sitting on a couch wearing only an undershirt. He pointed at his private parts and told her to suck it. Okay, this is, I'm sorry to be graphic, but this is a guy who was, pre not only was president of the United States, survived every review of every state and level, state and federal level prosecutor in this country over and over and over and over. None of it mattered. None of it mattered to the Alvin Braggs whoever they were at the time, the district attorneys in states around this country, none of it mattered. Uh, another huge one, Paula Jones, you know, pays her, finally pays her off. Um, uh, she, she gave a very graphic description of his conduct toward her. Very, very similar. And this is unwelcomed sexual advance, unwelcomed, aggressive, physically aggressive uh, sexual advance. She describes in great, great detail um, what exactly happened there, very similar to other allegations against him. All the way to Kathleen Wiley, 1993, uh, claimed in the, in fact, in the Oval Office, she went to talk about being interested in being hired for a job in the White House. This was 1993, and he fondled her private parts and forced her hand to touch his private parts. Now, this is conduct, I mean, if it was engaged by a 20-year-old who was drunk at a frat party, we would still find it offensive, reprehensible, grotesque, but nothing matters because it's the Clintons, because it's the Democrats. They don't have to follow the law. The law never finds them culpable. And I don't want to go over every single one of those. I mean, we could, we could discuss Hillary Clinton's sordid past with respect to just endless, endless um, apparent grotesque violations of the law, um, as well as Bill Clinton. Oh, Epstein Island. It was like 26 trips uh, down to Epstein Island, often leaving the uh, Secret Service behind, not even joining him, and yet nothing happens to them. And this uh, this uh, first five commentary, it isn't really just about, this is so unfair um, about President Trump. It is grotesquely unfair. It is, a, it is a window for anyone paying attention to America to recognize our justice system no longer pursues justice. They don't pursue justice. They pursue the mindset of someone like Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, pursues get the, get the political opponents of the ruling left. The ruling left in this country is to be left alone. And anyone who opposes them, and if anyone on the planet Earth stands in the way of what the left is trying to do to this country, who stands up for America and freedom and the idea of America, it is Donald J. Trump. They know it, we know it, you know it, everyone knows it, and yet they go forward with the audacity to, in, to in, in, you know, issue the grand jury issued an indictment, and now they trod forth. They go into court tomorrow in New York, um, and have the, uh, you know, have the arrest and then have the arraignment. The other little tidbits about this uh, happening tomorrow in New York, um, I, I'll get to in the next segment. I want to talk a bit about what's going to happen tomorrow, but I really want to close the first five by saying this. These are monumental times in this country, not just because we're seeing the first uh, criminal indictment of a former president over a charge that stemmed actually from federal law, federal campaign law, which the FEC looked at and rejected as baseless years ago. But you have an up-and-comer, Soros-funded DA in New York who's saying, I can get him. 
give it, give me the job. I'll get him. I'll take him down. This is a political witch hunt. This is a political persecution. And I mean the word persecution. It is a prosecution, but it's also persecution. And really the broader message it's sending to the American society uh, is in one way good and one way bad. The good outcome or the good um, observation about it all is if you ever doubted that the anti-American left has no respect for the rule of law, no embrace of this monumentally important concept of blind justice and rule of law, you now know that the left is out for Trump and any of his followers, as you know from the January 6th prosecutions as well. But you do know that. You do know now that there's a there's a double standard is a too soft a term to you to describe. There is a determination to get him. The good news of that is that in America, I mean, excuse me, the bad news of that in America is that more and more people think twice before they engage in any conduct that might get the attention of the prosecutor of any prosecutor in this country, any prosecutor, state or federal level, because you know that if you're on the side of conservatism, of patriotism, of love of country, if you're on that side, you just may put yourself at risk. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Okay, so I call the next segment, uh, I called it uh, American Banana Republic, Trump Indicted and Meme Maker Convicted. I'm going to guess you uh, know this basic story, so I'm going to, about, the, about the meme maker, I'll quickly um, comment about a couple things about the meme maker. Uh, one is, this is just a, a young man of Florida, I think he was 31 at the time, and he's, he's making memes, which are just, I assume most of you know, but they're just kind of, they're like uh, standalone comics or cartoons or, you know, they, they're just, it's a posting you might put up that doesn't have just words, you know, like, uh, you know, an advocacy in words, but it has a, you know, it has a, a picture to it. It has a, a message to it. It's designed to persuade. And this meme was essentially during the election in 2016, uh, claiming to uh, tell voters that they could vote for Hillary via text. And so it's mocking Hillary voters is not very bright. Um, and also just, you know, I mean, it's mocking the idea, hey, maybe someone will believe this, which, I mean, it's a, it's a joke. There was actually in the very same year, the very same year this meme was put out, there was actually a TikTok, I think it was a TikTok video or a, um, a Twitter video was a young woman, a young Asian woman who was making exactly the same joke to Trump voters, about Trump voters. Hey, Trump voters, you know what? Uh, you can actually uh, vote by text. Uh, you know, or, and, you, and it was also, uh, you know, um, Super Tuesday, which was the, the big day when many primaries occur. Uh, you, Republicans have Super Wednesday. Vote on Super Wednesday for Donald Trump. Nothing happened to her. It was a video. They go viral. I mean, people think they're entertaining. The point is everyone knew this was a joke. But the DOJ, following the what point I made in the first five, the idea is don't you dare cross the left in this country. Don't you dare make them mad at you. Don't you dare mock them. And so this is a guy, a young guy, who is going to be sentenced. Now, he was found guilty of this interference with the um, election process charge. Um, I forget the precise name of the charge, but that's the gist of it. The, um, the interfering with the, uh, with the election process by putting on a meme that encouraged people uh, to send in a text as though they were um, voting, as though that was a means of voting. At least as, as when Tucker Carlson reported a couple weeks ago, uh, he made the point, they had no witnesses who said they were fooled by it. They had witnesses who said, oh yeah, you know, I, I did that. But they had no one ready to come and say, yeah, I really, really thought that was how I was voting. They knew it was a joke. Everyone knew it was a joke. But again, the message is, don't mess with the left. On top of that, I meant to mention, if you didn't know, so this young man, um, he was using the name Ricky Vaughn. Uh, was his, um, his real name is Douglas McKay, but he's using the name Ricky Vaughn. You know, it comes from a movie. But in any case, um, he was charged with allegedly conspiring against the people's right to vote. Conspiring against the people's right to vote by putting out a meme. And interestingly, in case you had any lingering respect for the Southern Poverty Law Center, you know, Southern Poverty Law Center is just thoroughly disgraced in any way. But they, in this case, because they are, they have nothing to do with helping poor people, have nothing to do with helping anyone or, or doing good in America. Southern Poverty Law Center is entirely another wing of the radical left, hate America, hate conservatism, hate Republicans. Um, and that's what they do. And they, they, that's how they engage in their actions, even though they claim otherwise. So they, in this case, contacted. So the defense had an expert witness. 
It was a professor who was a, a um, I believe, an undergrad professor. Only as a law school professor, but a professor in any case. Um, his name was Professor Hawley at University of Alabama. He'd agreed to be an expert witness on the defense, on, on the side of uh, Ricky Vaughn, in this case about this meme. The Southern Poverty Law Center essentially threatened and intimidated him so that he withdrew and refused to be an expert witness. Did you know that? I mean, Southern Poverty Law Center, who, you know, their, their name is so, oh my gosh, they're so lovely. They help poverty. They don't do that at all. They, they are as radical left as an organization can be. And they approached this professor and just said, hey, you know, we're going to be running an article about you. And it's going to talk about uh, what you're doing in this case. And actually, the, the question they sent to him was, um, does the University of Alabama know what you're doing? Like threatening him, we're going to contact your employer uh, if you testify to help defend this guy. It's like the guy is not even entitled to have a defense in the mindset of the Southern Poverty Law Center. He's not even entitled to have an expert witness on his side. He basically is supposed to be, as the left always wants, conservatives, just helpless. No, no one to defend you, no one to stand up for you. So uh, that happened. Anyway, this guy faces, um, he is appealing, thank goodness. Um, he, his uh, lawyers are appealing. His sentencing is this August, uh, this coming August. He faces up to 10 years in federal prison for a meme. When you think of all the memes that have gone out, I mean, I've seen memes many, many times joking about, you know, tell your, tell your Democrat friends, uh, you know, the election day is next Wednesday, like a day late, or tell your Republican friends, tell your Democrat friends. It's a common joke. It is frequently out there, been out there for a long time. But again, the DOJ sending a message, sending a message to anyone who dares challenge the left, we can get you. In fact, they had the DOJ was kind of celebrating. By the way, there was a week-long trial, and the jury uh, kept going back to the judge. It was in federal court in Brooklyn, and Judge Ann Donnelly, uh, the federal court judge, um, had the jury come back to her after uh, lengthy deliberation and just say, we can't come to a verdict, but we're hung. We, we can't come to a verdict. And she uh, basically sent them back. That happened three times. And I, you know, I've been on a jury. I know that you know you can go to the judge once, and you can say we're hung, we can't get to a decision, and you know the judge tries to get you to a decision because otherwise you got to retry the case. But three times that happened, and finally they convicted him, and um, and there was really a kind of celebration coming out of the FBI and DOJ. Uh, so that was kind of the first part of this discussion in this segment about. Um, America Banana Republic, and then Trump being indicted. I'm just going to add a few other points. They said, all this media attention this morning, here he goes, taking off from Florida. You know, I mean, this is so serious. It's not about his plane flight up there or, you know, when he's going to stay overnight. But the serious things to consider, uh, Trump's attorneys have acknowledged uh, they've, they've somehow reached a deal. He's going to be arrested without handcuffs. Um, they're not going to uh, file any motion to dismiss the charges at the arraignment hearing, um, which they could do, but they're they are going to file, uh, the defense attorneys say, a motion to dismiss, but not um, at the arraignment. Um, and there's great concern that this judge will issue a gag order. A gag order just means they'll basically tell Trump, you can't be talking to the press about this, about this whole case. And the thing is, if they were just saying, don't talk about this or we'll be mad about it, they're saying, don't talk about this or you may get sent to jail. I mean, the, a gag order in this case, if it were to be issued, be very serious. It'd be, it'd be a court saying, you know, if you violate this and talk about this, you know, you're going to end up in jail. That's going to be extremely hard for Donald Trump, recognizing the outrageous nature of this, this charge, which was, as I say, dismissed by the FEC seven years ago. Just said there's nothing to this. This is bogus. And somehow... This uh, Alvin Bragg has managed to cook up, and there's now reports about that the indictment has 30 or 34 charges. I, I mean, to be really clear, any DA who wants to get you, any prosecutor, state or federal, who wants to get you can take one set of facts and manufacture charges that are, I mean, many, 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 many charges all flowing from one action on your part. So just because this indictment says, you know, apparently has somewhere between 30 and 34, um, you know, charges against him, 
It's all out of this question of whether or not hush money was paid to her, um, to Stormy Daniels, and whether or not that constituted a violation um, of the uh, federal um, the uh, federal election law, which um, FEC said it didn't. But hey, what do they know? They're only the, the officials. Um, and then they try to pile on to that the idea that this is therefore a violation of state of the New York state laws about business record accuracy. I mean, they are just grasping at straws. And so, I mean, it's, it's a very serious time to have a prosecutor go after uh, Donald Trump for this, or really, really for um, anything so far, it's just been preposterous. But three other things I want to tell you, obviously we'll follow this closely in the show. Um, one is that Alvin Bragg, the same DA um, who ha has been, he's a Soros-funded DA, so he's perfectly happy to be very, very light on on, on violent criminals, very, you know, doesn't want to really want to prosecute, has has had several announcements. I, I think I talked about in the show in the past, but in any case, several announcements about how he really doesn't want to, you know, he kind of sees the criminals as the victims and doesn't really want to be locking them up or anything really mean like that. And so, you know, crime is spiked under his term as DA because people aren't afraid of being prosecuted. And then there was a case recently where he really got stepped in some hot water. Uh, he had a plan to indict a man who was a security guard, worked at a parking garage in New York and uh, found someone in the parking garage walking around looking in the windows of cars. Obviously appears to be someone planning to break into cars. And so he calls them outside, said, hey, buddy, out here. They go out in the street, said, what are you doing? You know, what's in your bag? Is it a bag? With What's in your bag? And what are you doing? Obviously thinking the guy has been robbing cars. Guy pulls out a gun of the bag, shoots the security officer. Security officer wrestled, and, and so he's been shot once in the abdomen, once in the arm, I think it was. You know, wrestles for the gun, gets a hold of the gun, and shoots the uh, criminal shoots the guy who is the criminal, actually. And um, I, neither of them died uh, in this altercation, but the Manhattan DA indicted the security guard because he shot someone who had already shot him. Now, I know, I'm, I'm a lawyer by background, I understand you're not allowed to use you know, lethal force in excess of what is needed, and so maybe he's saying, well, he fired more times than he had to. This is the mindset of a Soros-funded district attorney. He can find a way to, to punish or attempt to punish someone who's trying to maintain law and order and apparently, therefore, very protective of the guy who actually was the criminal who was trying to break into cars and who pulled the gun first. But you know what kind of the good little story outline or ending at least at this point is that um, even though this gentleman, this uh, security guard uh, did spend, I don't know, four nights or something in jail, um, he's been released and the DA's in the office has announced they're not, that they are dropping charges. They're not going to go after him, which is a really good thing because I, I do, it is a little bit of a reminder that even district attorneys um, are people and the public pressure, the public mockery of him, you know, you're going to charge the good guy trying to protect the cars who got shot by the bad guy, but you're going to charge the good guy because he defended himself. I mean, he just didn't need the headlines. He's got enough bad headlines over this stunt he's pulling with President Trump. A couple other quick things, and I'm going to turn in a second, um, Mr. Emilio, to the clip I sent you. Um, but, you know, it's been interesting. All the time that Trump was president, uh, there were very few Republicans who really stood up before him, really stood up. And, and especially, uh, they barely, there were a few, but not very many, who spoke up as he was being just falsely accused of Trump-Russia collusion. Again, you want to, back to Hillary Clinton and our first five, her team cooked up the entire Trump-Russia collusion. You talk about a massive fraud on the country, but no liability, no problem. Don't worry, Hillary. In fact, her payment, same FEC forms, Federal Election Commission forms, she fills out a payment allegedly for legal fees to Perkins Coie. They turn around and pay it to the uh, dossier creators, the whole Fusion GPS complete creation of the lie of Trump-Russia collusion. And all that happened to her was a very quietly wrote a little check, all done. No prosecution. I, I mean, it, it, the, the contrast in mind-blowing. But back to where we were about Trump. People are actually on the conservative side, even those that haven't been super uh, close to Trump and haven't always been defending him. Um, they are um, coming to his defense at least a little bit. 
Um, and even uh, Jeb exclamation point. Uh, Jeb has uh, came out with a statement saying, you know, th this really isn't right. I think he, it was pretty mealy mouth, but um, it was kind of a, um, but what at least um, this is very political, not a matter of justice. Yeah. In this case, let the jury be the voter. So very wishy-washy Jeb Bush, uh, you know, Bill Barr has some comment that was kind of a backhanded compliment. You know how uh, this didn't seem right, but you know he sure hopes Trump doesn't testify on his own behalf because he can't control his mouth. I mean, you know, Bill Barr, very, very mild. What he should be saying, a former attorney general should be screaming from the rooftops about the injustice of this indictment, but he can't bring himself to do it. Uh, Ronald McDaniel, RNC chair, Elise, um, said she called the move a blatant abuse of power and dangers us all. Um, you had Nikki Haley's uh, some uh, spokesperson, her and aide, um, saying that um, criticized this as a political persecution. Um, you had uh, DeSantis. Finally, after being pressured, uh, finally came up and said he called the indictment un-American, condemned the weaponization of the legal system to advance the political agenda. So all these people have, you know, kind of come around saying, we really don't want to start this. And I will say, people who are in the public eye, like all of these Republicans and other officials I just mentioned, you know, they have to worry, where's the next Alvin Bragg, wherever it is they live, who's going to come after them? I mean, it is one reason they probably don't leap up and say things as strongly as they would, because this, you know, who knows what will happen to them next? Who knows who, where the next prosecutor will be? So I'm quick to tell you, Asa Hutchison, uh, a former governor of Arkansas, has announced he's running for president. And I want to uh, quickly ask uh, Mr. Mueller to play this clip, a little clip of him, and then I'll tell you uh, what he had to say. Let's put, quick play him. I have made a decision. And my decision is I'm going to run for president of the United States. While the formal announcement will be later in April in Bentonville, uh, I wanted to make clear that to you, Jonathan, I am going to be running. And the reason, uh, as I've traveled the country for six months, I hear people talk about the leadership of our country. And I'm convinced that people want leaders that appeal to the best of America and not simply appeal to our worst instincts. And that inspires me when I see everyday Americans just saying, give us good leadership, give us common sense, consistent conservatism, and optimism about our great country. And uh, that inspires me, and I believe I can be that kind of leader for the people of America. Okay, I have to tell you, if that guy were running for president in, you know, I don't even know when to say, you know, early 70s or something, or 1950s, maybe he'd be viable. But if you listen to his entire uh, interview there, or go listen, you know, in any place where he's speaking, it's like he's so out of touch that he's talking in these smarmy, you know, everything's fine in America. We just need good leadership. You know, we got to face a problem, uh, solve the problems faced by the American people. I mean, we are being overrun by China. Our justice system is in ruins. Our borders in ruins. Our country is, is over the cliff to socialism. And he sounds like a sixth grader who just had his first class in civics. Now, I know he's not a bad guy. And as far as I know, he's an okay governor uh, when he was there. But the idea that this is a guy, to me, seems so out of touch, he can't figure out anything more powerful pungent to say. In fact, later in the interview, I will tell you, it was too, he rambled on too long, so I didn't grab it. But later in the interview, the uh, he was asked, well, you know, what do you um, think now that Trump's been indicted? You know, uh, do you think he should stay in the race? Do you get out of the race? And of course, he's gleefully saying, well, I think he should get out of the race. I mean, you know, he's got to dedicate his resources to, you know, a good defense, putting up a good defense. I mean, and so he, you know, he tries to make a distinction. It's one thing if you've been uh, accused of something. Once an indictment comes, you know, Trump's got to step down. He does not, to use my favorite expression, know what time it is in America. He cannot figure out this indictment is an indictment of the, Amer the entire American justice system. It's an indictment of the ruling elite in our country at the at highest levels, many places, uh, Soros-funded district attorneys, the U.S., uh, the Department of Justice, the FBI. This is a country that has been invaded by Marxist ideology, and he sounds like a sixth grader.
Very quickly before we uh, go off, our Bardian Radio listeners are going to go off on a break. At the 30 minutes past the hour, you come right back to America Can We Talk. Check out americacanwetalk.org. We'll be talking. I'll still be here when you come back from your three-minute break, so do come back. Okay, I want to finish a couple of things about this um, this whole uh, Trump indictment thing because it's, it's just, you know, it's very consequential. Three things, okay, I swear, three things. Uh, one is that, you know, you see people and you read them, their comments on various social media platforms. Uh, you hear some of the, you know, riffs they put up on social media. People have been propagandized by our propaganda media in this country, by the left, uh, to just be, be worked up into visceral, irrational hatred of Trump. And they're therefore jubilant that he's been indicted. And when you try to ask any of these people, what is it he's been indicted for that, you know, Hillary Clinton didn't do? What has he been indicted as to Stormy Daniels that Bill Clinton didn't do? What is the difference here? Do you see a problem with us looking like a banana republic? Because this is what, you know, this is what the Stalin did, now far worse than Banana Republic, but just, you know, the rise in, in communism, that you come to power and you you indict the previous leader and you put him to death almost right away. I mean, this, this, these actions by our government today, whether it's federal or state level, it's all the same mindset that is the problem. It's the mindset that says we are entitled to go after our political enemies. And so my first point is, it is extremely alarming to recognize how easy it has been to manipulate, to propagandize, to mesmerize, to hypnotize the American people into irrational hatred, especially over a, a Stormy Daniels you know, porn star payment. But they have succeeded in, in, in just inducing, it's like injecting into the American mindset, irrational hatred. And they can never explain why if you ask, there, there's never an intelligent answer. But it's a dangerous thing to observe because our CIA has worked at this. They do psychological operations, psyops, in countries around the world to manipulate the population of a country against the current leader and to urge them to get behind ousting the current leader, bring in someone new the CIA wants. This is this is their you know this is their milk and butter kind of conduct they engage in the CIA. And so in America, what's done to us, it's really pathetic and sad to realize how many people don't realize that's what's happened to them. They don't understand. Now, that not everyone, there are people who would say, I prefer DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, whoever else is going to run for president. People have intelligent assessments and say, I just think for whatever reasons they have, uh, someone else is better. And, and that's great. That's what actual political debate is. But part of what emboldens a guy like Alvin Bragg is because he recognizes how far the American people have been lathered into insanity, lunacy, incapacity to think. They, he thinks this whole inducing Trump, you know, to, I mean, just going after Trump, indicting Trump, it, uh, it won't matter. The American people won't mind because I've made them all insane. The propaganda media has made them all insane. Second point on, on this, uh, wrapping up the story on Trump and all that. Um, there's also, of course, uh, polling showing uh, that uh, not only has Trump's popularity increased, but also uh, his donations. He had a huge, I didn't grab the story, I should have, but a huge donation boost uh, right after the announcement was made that Alvin Bragg had, um, had in, or was going to be indicting Donald Trump. I mean, in the millions and millions of dollars above normal. So people, the American people, many still have, the ones who aren't you know, psychologically manipulated into lunacy, like people still saying, they look at this and they say, this is a bad thing. This is a bad thing for America and we're not going to let it happen. So his donations have gone up and that's good. His popularity has. Third thing I wanted to tell you is that there is an effort now. Um, and, you know, when people run for president, it's a, you know, all, all just, you know, full on whatever it takes, they're going to do it. And so some of the candidates engage in hiring pollsters who will report, oh my gosh, turns out, I'm telling you people, Asa Hutchison, who does not have a chance uh, and is just a, you know, like he's running like he's in a twilight zone or something. 
He's going to have polling. Someone's going to do a poll. Well, you know, Asa Hutchison's kind of coming up in popularity. He's a pretty good guy, you know, doesn't have scandals. He's pretty great. Um, so pollsters can do this. They can, it depends on the, the data, the, who they, which group of Americans they poll, you know, how the number of the people they poll is weighted between Democrats and Republicans, likely voters or people who are never going to vote no matter what. But right now, I saw there was a CNN poll announcing uh, that um, that Ron DeSantis is way, way, way up above um, Trump. Now, I'm sorry. I've seen many polls, and I understand you can just say all of polling is not even worth talking about because it's all manipulation. But there are manipulation polls already starting. Manipulation polls designed to make you think, well, as people try to say, Trump can't win. Everyone knows Trump can't win. And they make it true, by, or they think they can make it true by saying it's true, but it's not. Anyway, um, so uh, so polling a massive surge in support of Trump. Um, you know, they, the people see it, they're calling it a politics of persecution. Uh, last point is that John Ratcliffe, whom I just so deeply respect, he was a congressman from here, from the great state of Texas. Uh, and then he was a director of the DNI, director of national intelligence. Uh, he's now with AFPI, the America First Policy Institute. Very, very insightful guy. And he was basically making the point, you know, someone should be looking at the fact that all of this information leaked out of the grand jury. I mean, Trump team, Trump lawyers have not even seen the indictment. But yet, you know, everyone in America pays attention, paying attention knows Trump got indicted 31 to 34, 30 to 34 charges, blah, blah, blah. And, and the Trump lawyers haven't even seen it. So those indictment leaks, which are leaks are so common, people just go, oh, well, yeah, everything gets leaked. But it actually matters to the judicial system. It matters because they're holding information in, in the judicial system, uh, and in order to give the person a right to a fair trial, and it gets released when you get to the point, uh, the indictment gets released when the DA says it does. So uh, DNI, uh, Ratcliffe is making the point, you know, it may be very well here that Alvin Bragg, someone in his office, or someone on the grand jury actually committed a felony releasing this information to uh, left-wing media in this country. Who knows if that'll go anywhere, but I think it's a very it's a very good point. Just because we get so used to leaks happening doesn't mean we should just go, oh, well, someone leaked again. I mean, it's a big deal. And this ties to the topic I hope I can get to in the show today. I have one more topic. I want to talk about CBDC, um, uh, which is, I'm going to tell you the real name for it. The real name is Communist Banking Digital Control. That's how you have to think of it. The real name, that's not actually the real name. The real name um, is the Central Bank Digital Currency. CBDC is Central Bank Digital Concern, uh, Currencies. You've got to see this for what it is. This is a communist mindset, government control over every single bit of your money. And I want to thank, I actually had several listeners uh, even send emails or make comments just saying, please do a deep dive on CBDC. So I'm going to do somewhat of a deep dive today. Plus, I want to tell you something. Uh, this week on our show. So Thursday, this coming Thursday, we always have very special Thursday shows. We have one guest, one expert in. We have a whole hour with one person. We have an in-studio audience and uh, we interview that person. So this week, the gentleman's name is Kevin Freeman. Kevin Freeman, he's the host of Economic War Room, a fabulous, fabulous online show. You can just Google Kevin Freeman Economic War Room. He's also really one of the an internationally known uh, expert on financial terrorism, on economics, and we're going to break down with him, uh, you know, the uh, upcoming, apparently soon coming, central bank digital currency, um, MMT, modern monetary theory, um, ESG. Last time he was on the show, we talked about ESG, but how that's going, the challenges to ESG. Um, we're just and, and the the collapse of the banks uh, that is seems to be ongoing, the collapse of the banks is, of course, tied to the government trying to swoop in to rescue and say, hey, don't worry about the banks. We're going to go to CBDC. We'll take care of everybody. Or as a Reagan used to say, don't worry, I'm from the federal government. I'm here to help you. You know, most dangerous words in the English language. In any case, so do tune in Thursday for a far more in-depth discussion. What I want to hit about to this uh, CBDC thing today is this. Number one, there was a great paper put out by Cato Institute. And Cato, you know, I don't quote them super often. Uh, they are fiscally conservative and they're very 
rational. They're they're very very smart. Um, they they aren't social conservatives. They're not so you know they're they're not always in the same lane as other groups that call themselves conservatives. But they put a great paper out explaining why um, CBDC is such a danger to America. I link to that on our website. Every story I talk about today, I link the, the articles that I speak from on our website. So when you go to americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, you can read all these articles. And I urge you to do that. This one in particular, they make the point that if currency, you know, this is a, if I were holding a dollar bill in my hand, I said, you know, I want to buy that Diet Coke from you and I hand you a dollar, you hand me the Coke, that's our method of exchange. And every time you use cash like that, whether it's a you know a Coke or whether you use cash to buy a new car, you use cash to buy some, any entity at all, when you use cash, it doesn't get traced. It's not, it's not visible to the government. I mean, sometimes you might have to report. It depends on what you purchase and depends on from whom you purchase, but it's, it's a private transaction. And it's between you and the um, you know and the person you're buying from, and what what arose over the last several years is more of the cryptocurrency. This idea of let's have digital currency. Let's not have to have dollars and cents in our hand. Let's use Bitcoin or any other kind of cryptocurrency, digital currency, not physical you know dollars and cents as a means, and and because it's easier to make transit, to make uh, trades, to make, to make uh, interactions, uh, you can, ha and so this was a big thing. And, you know, uh, some people got into it and got Bitcoin and, and like to use it. Bitcoin is a little out of the government. It is out of the government's control because um, it's not Bitcoin, this private cryptocurrency thing idea is out of the government's control. It's not a, you know, it's a private entity chooses to issue that. So the difference between that, which is you know private Bitcoin, you know cryptocurrency, and what's being uh, disclosed now and actually is coming to America very soon uh, this summer uh, of the CBDC is the federal the Federal Reserve, the Fed, the Federal Reserve uh, simply, which is our central bank, takes charge of all of those interactions between the banks, that they are monitoring and the money is going back and forth through the Federal Reserve, Bank A, Bank B, and, and it's all digital. And the proponents say, oh my gosh, it's just gonna make life so much easier. Who needs you know, all this confusion of cash, you know, when things get complicated, let's just, it'll be really easy. And part of what the way the federal government is pushing the CBDC uh, is to argue, well, look, the banks are having troubles. Look, you have the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. You've got a couple other banks collapse. We have, you know, uh, we have very shaky banking system right now. Just let the government take charge of money. Let us be in charge. That's the argument. And I call it, I, I use it, I do not say these words lightly, it's communist banking. It's no more the people in charge of their private money. And I take our private money, our savings or whatever we have, you know, to our local bank. I put it in the bank. I know it's there. When I want to withdraw some, I can withdraw it. If I want to switch it to another bank, transfer it to a different bank, I can do that. I'm in control of my money. This is what private this is what free enterprise is about and should be about. It is what private financial transactions are about. It's the idea, my money is in my bank and I can transfer it around and I can withdraw it when I want, when I need to, unless there's a run on the bank and everyone tries to withdraw it once and then you have a problem. But why people are so up in arms and so concerned about the CBDC impending CBDC is number one, it's already, they're already rocking and rolling on it. It's a new plan called Fed Now. F-E-D-N-O-W, FedNow. And the FedNow service, this, I, this is the basic idea of it is two features. And this is, again, we link to this story on our website, great descriptions with these things. People, this is not a money issue. I mean, it is a money issue. It's a freedom issue. That's the most important thing to impress upon people who are saying, well, I don't really care about banking. Um, I'm not a big money person. I'm not wealthy. I don't care. You need to care no matter what range of wealth you are in, whether you are you know, living paycheck to paycheck or whether you are very wealthy, because it's the government taking control of your money, which means the government taking control of your freedom. 
It's the same. I mean, it is that stark. So Fed now, two big features to keep in mind. Uh, the U.S. Central Bank, the Fed Reserve, is going to be the centralized processor of interbank transactions. So instead of me opening a bank at, you know, Bank of Debbie and wanting opening an account at Bank of Debbie and want to transfer over here to Bank of Sally, you know, these are private banks and I just do that transaction. And they transact. Everything now goes through under this plan, the Federal Reserve. So your interbank transactions don't go bank to bank. They go through the Federal Reserve. So that's number one, Federal Reserve, Federal Government sticking its nose in the private banking transaction of American citizens. Second is it comes complete with a blacklisting function. Huge to understand a blacklisting function. And I'm going to run through some of the things. Uh, and I again, I cannot urge you strongly enough to get on to the... Um, my website, read these articles so that you're not, um, uh, I'm trying to get to one thing I sent to Mr. Emilio here. There we go. Um, uh, what I want to uh, try to stress about this is if you, you need to try to read uh, these articles yourself, understand how serious it will be. And also understand once the government has control of your money through this new CBDC, please know they'll never let go. We'll never go back to private banking. I'm going to hit just a couple of very, very important things that are right in this um, uh, in this bill that they're they're rocking and rolling with right now. Okay, geez, okay, I'm trying to get okay. So let me just tell you a few things that are in there, and these are actually points you can read about yourself uh, in this really great piece that um, that the Cato Institute put out. Uh, number one, no more financial privacy. No more financial privacy. If I you know, we're addicted to Reese's cups, let's say, as an example. Not that I eat a lot of them or anything, but maybe I do. I can buy a lot of Reese's cups and, and no one really knows. I mean, especially if I pay cash. So I can buy those. But if the federal government now is really aware of, of your financial transactions, then you lose financial privacy. So the government really is a central bank. It'll have absolute control over the rules and regulations that determine the use of that bank, of the expression of central bank liability. So countless opportunities to control your behavior. They can freeze assets. They can seize assets. They can, it is very, it's not totally unlike uh, in communist China right now, you have many people regularly lamenting and pointing out the dangers of their social credit score system. It's not that every single you know, aspect of your life is controlled by the government but you lose a lot of freedom when in communist China, when they are looking at your social credit scores that, you know, actually, given what you did last year or what, how much money you spent on that, blah, 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 or whatever it is they don't like you did. You didn't keep your, you know, uh, you got too many speeding tickets, whatever it is, they can control your ability to spend your own money. They can forbid you. They can forbid you access to your money. And you might be thinking, okay, but that's communist China and this is America. Again, tune in Thursday. But part of what the answer to that is, is that when you are, when the central bank has control, we already right now, who would have thought in America 20 years ago that the federal government would be kicking qualified people out of the military because they refused to take a vaccine, which everyone paying attention recognizes is dangerous and limiting your ability to fly. They, they pushed and pushed the idea, uh, as the Biden administration did, out of making having to show a vaccine passport to even get on a flight. That, that They couldn't make it quite go. But America is trending away from freedom and toward a Marxist socialist society. So even if you think today our government, they wouldn't do anything really bad, what difference does it make? When you recognize the leftists in this country very much on, on a roll, very much on a path of, of taking down freedom in America, taking down free speech without any question, taking down religious freedom, the idea that they would use this power they will inherently have if we go to all digital currency and a Federal Reserve in charge, understand they would. There are tons and tons of quotes um, in this article, which I, I would like to read uh, more of them, but I'm not going to do it right now because... I want to get to my last topic, but I'll just quickly say uh, one more thing on this um, topic for today, um, that uh, Ted Cruz um, has announced, uh, he has introduced a bill in the United States Senate saying CBDC cannot be part of America. Ted Cruz 
gets freedom. He gets the Constitution. He gets how evil communism is. And he is calling out CBDC, saying we cannot let it get started here. Ron DeSantis in Florida has a bill for the state of Florida saying we can't have this here. I mean, these are the things I, I think it's one of those things like if they go forward with this and there's just a little experiment right now, we're just checking to see how it is. It gets worse and worse. And at some point in the future, someone looks back and says, why was no one paying attention back in 2023 when the Marxist left had already taken over America's country, taken over our country? Why was no one paying attention? Why was no one fighting this? I mean, there are quotes, and I'll probably have to do another show on this, or I may um, share some of these quotes on Thursday when Kevin Freeman joins us. But this is like a, this is a sea change as to your financial freedom, your financial privacy, and ultimately it ends up being your, your, your freedom overall. If the government has control of the money that you worked hard to earn, and they're deciding on their new digital currency that you shouldn't have access or you can't have access in order to spend it on that, there'll be, understand, if you think the FEC is full of regulations and tripwires that are designed to catch anyone the uh, federal government doesn't like, understand this will be full of times, full of regulations that will somehow trip up the average American citizen. I mean, it's a disaster in waiting and many conservatives see it. Okay, I want to do one last quick thing. Um, and I, would, I always have more topics in time, but I did, I think this is an important thing. I, I've had this topic ready to roll for several shows and haven't gotten to it. I just want to talk about what's happening in America's law schools. And before you say, well, I don't care because I don't want to be a lawyer and I don't really care. I want to point out something that's happening tomorrow in the state of Wisconsin. Tomorrow in Wisconsin, the voters are going to the polls to choose between two candidates who are both running to sit on the highest court in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And there is a conservative, meaning a person who follows the Constitution and the laws, and there is a liberal who falls into the whatever I think law should be and whatever I really want to happen, that's what I'm in favor of kind of candidate. The makeup stuff as they go along kind of judge, untethered by law. And in Wisconsin, there are many cases pending that deal with really important issues like abortion or, or protecting innocent life, like election fraud, which is a huge, huge issue in Wisconsin. Many people recognizing the Wisconsin voters, um, you know, would, would like to have a fair election and recognizing when you get leftists on the courts who don't follow the law. That's kind of the hallmark of a leftist judge. They just don't follow the law. They just make up stuff. They get the answer they want to get to. They're left-wing agenda-driven. They're emotion, advocacy, agenda-driven rather than follow the law, which is their job as a judge. So that's a huge election coming up tomorrow. But it caused me to think about, and, and by the way, in case you are in the great state of Wisconsin, because we have listeners everywhere, uh, there, it's a Republican, Daniel Kelly is the one, who would actually follow the law. And the Democrats named Janet, um, and I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, Prostowitz, Prost I don't know, Prostowitz, um, who is a leftist and, and has uh, her uh, history as a judge is replete with leftist rulings and, you know, which basically means don't follow the law, just make up stuff, whatever you want, that's what you rule. And so these are huge. And I'm getting around, I want to tease you with that to say, I often wonder, I went to law school Okay, several decades ago. In law school, I can tell you what people you know, are supposed to learn. I mean, the basics, it's not, when you go to law school, you don't learn every single state statute in the state you're in. You don't learn every single federal law. You learn the core of how laws, what our country's legal system is all about. You learn the ideas of what the Constitution provides. You understand the structure of government created by the Constitution. You study, you know, the history of law. You study, and you know, kind of very, very common courses that almost every law school used to have, torts. You know, you just learn, you can sue other people. And there are common law causes of action. But, you know, you learn about the tort of, you know, intentional infliction of emotional distress or whatever it is, a whole bunch of those. You learn contracts. Contract law is huge to keep the business world running in America. You learn criminal procedure, criminal law, civil procedure, tax law, labor law. You learn substantive, you know, you learn existing print, existing um laws to some degree, but you learn the principles and you learn the ideas behind them and you learn how to apply those ideas to the cases before you. 
And so you can take what you learn as a core and then you move forward and, and, and law changes. I have to tell you that I went, I went to Georgetown in Washington and I went back, we were back in Washington for some reason and we had an afternoon free. So uh, I don't know, I just thought I'd be, I'm, okay, I'm a little bit nerdy. I thought it'd be interesting to go look at the Georgetown Law Library because I hadn't been there a long time. And it was interesting to look at it because one thing that was um, notable was, you know, there are entire reams of cases now on uh, email discovery. You know, like when you discovery in a civil litigation or even in criminal prosecutions, you know, you, um, but civil litigation, you get discovery against the other side, you know, you to try to prove your case and they get discovery against you. And so this is how litigation works. Well, now there are all sorts of new discovery rules about emails. And, and presumption of confidentiality, blah, 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 which you know wasn't even a thing when I was in law school. So concepts you learn, and you learn the structure of America under the constitutional principles that, that you know made, made America's system what it is. So right now there is an effort by two people, um, I happen to know both of them, I love both of them actually, Hans von Spakovsky, um, who is with Heritage Foundation, brilliant, brilliant guy, and also J. Christian Adams, and I think I'm not sure which organization he now works with, but he's another really bright guy, uh, used to be in the Justice Department. And they're just going through what law students are learning today. And the reason this really matters, I'm just gonna just race through and tell you some of the, so they're doing, they're gonna expose the top 10 law schools and the kind of things that people learn in law school today, lest you think they learn you know, important things that, that actually matter. So I will start with, uh, there was a case, uh, there, he's, this is um, at Yale Law School. They have a course called Advanced Reproductive Rights and Justice Project. And they talk about Yale's program for the study of reproductive justice. Um, and so it's all pro-abortion, pro-abortion advocacy, no, you know, other notion about pro-life. But, and I'm, I want to skip over to the article about Stanford because I happened to, Stanford Law School, one of the top law schools in the country, uh, beside that they had their students taunting a federal judge who tried to speak there. But listen, to, this is a required first year course in search of climate justice. So they're not even going to look at, you know, the existence of questions about climate in search of climate justice, they have dress codes, race, identity, and personal appearance. They have the state of democratic discourse, which does not mean you ever have to listen to anybody but yourself. Race and technology described as uh, that technology is no less biased and racist than the underlying society in which they exist. I could go on and I'm almost out of time. So I'll tell you very quickly the great thing that happened. At least two federal court justices have said no more hiring anyone from Stanford or anyone from Yale because they don't teach law anymore. They teach advocacy for left-wing lunacy. My friends, I am out of time, sadly, as I get to this point every day in the show. I wish I had more time, but um, I do at the close of every show tell you why the stories that we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show today. Um, we were talking about um, America, the Banana Republic, Trump indicted and meme maker convicted. Meme maker, political humorist, convicted in New York federal court of working against the government, facing prison for exercising First Amendment guaranteed freedom of speech. Meme mocked Hillary Clinton supporters. Hundreds of memes mocking Trump supporters, no prosecution. The SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center, intimidated a witness in this case. Expert withdrew from testifying for the defendant. Trump is to be arraigned tomorrow. Raw political persecution, obvious to everyone. Seven-year-old campaign finance incident, previously dismissed by the FEC. Ratcliffe, DNI Ratcliffe, points out grand jury leaks are themselves felonies. Were they committed by Alvin Bragg? Question. The American people don't want any of this. The rule of law is being turned upside down. Not possible to overstate the outrage of what the judicial system has become. America cannot survive this if it is not radically reversed. And a communist banking digital control is almost here. Economic decline and banking collapses um, up the global conversion to CBD CBDC, central bank digital currency. Economic decline engineered by leftist energy policy, shutting down fossil fuel industry. The economic decline didn't come from nowhere, folks. Banking collapse engineered by the fastest, largest Fed rate hikes in history. This is why CBDC is called out as an engineered tool for totalitarianism and communism. Fed now is just the interbank precursor 
to full CBDC for individuals includes capacity to blacklist banks for not following the government's agenda. Senator Ted Cruz has introduced federal legislation to block CBDC. Governor Ron DeSantis is backing Florida state legislation to block CBDC. When government has control of your money, government has control of your freedom. American citizens become no different than a child on a government allowance. Americans must rise, stand firmly, and continually against CBDC. And law schools are killing the rule of law. Law schools should train lawyers as guardians of America's constitutional system, but too many are going woke and now train lawyers in anti-American leftist babblespeak or dogma. Stanford Law School has pronouns of a convicted sex offender. And a Stanford, I didn't even talk about this again, but the Stanford DEI uh, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion um, officer or um, administrator person, um, officials supported the students and berated the judge. Yale Law School teaches pro-abortion litigation strategies, nothing about pro-life, effectively discarding the Dobbs decision. This is the overturning of the Judeo-Christian Legal Foundation of America, replacing it with secular humanism, untethered from the Constitution, American traditions, and the rule of law. Helpful trend? Some federal judges refuse to hire law clerks from woke law schools. There have been two very prominent judges who've done that. One is a friend of mine, James Ho, um, who just said they're no longer hiring uh, from these woke law schools. And they're really, you know, he talks about, he did a really great speech. I should probably grab segments of it and play it for you. But a really great speech talking about if you emerge from law school, you haven't learned the concept of law. And you haven't learned the notion of, you know, the, that the world is not, the legal system does not exist just to push left-wing dogma, but actually to allow the free exchange of ideas, respect, you know, for the rights of others. You have no capacity to understand law, to, to practice law. You don't know what practicing law really means. I'm going to have to come back to this more. This topic really gets me, but for now. My very fine friends, thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. The show is called America Can We Talk. You can find it online at americacanwetalk.org. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you